Hello, welcome to the final episode of 40 Stories. My guest today is Mary Ziblich. Mary is a culturally Catholic, world-traveling mother and wife and individual. She's quirky and interesting and has some unconventional ideas about parenting. So this episode is bittersweet because it is my final episode of 40 Stories. Um, I didn't get nearly as far as I thought I would, but um, nonetheless, this podcast was incredibly fun for me to make and I absolutely loved every interview I did. It was such a great project for me as I turned 40 and as I survived my (laughs) 40th year. I really wish I had had more time to devote to the show, Uh, but you know, life happens and um, no regrets. So if anybody wants to continue making 40 stories, I would actually love that. If you're 40 and you are interested in continuing this show, please let me know. I think that would be wonderful. And as always, I would like to thank Ecology for Keyboards for the music for the show. Thank you so much, Sailor. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Shoshana Simonson, for all your help in the beginning. Thank you to everyone who has listened to the show, especially people who actually listened to all 11 of them. (laughs) Thanks, Mom. Um, And thank you so much to every person I interviewed. It was such a joy and a pleasure to invite strangers into my home and ask them really personal questions (laughs) and it was so gracious of each of you to answer them with honesty and to trust me okay please enjoy the final episode of 40 stories well on my 40th birthday we had a party bus And it was super fun. And I had two of my dearest and oldest best friends surprise me and show up on the bus as it pulled up. And it happened to be this like glorious day um, at the end of spring, like in the end of March, that's when my birthday is. And it was like 75 and perfect. And we went up to Rocky Butte and like looked at the view and we had music and um, Matt, my husband went liquid. He was just dancing on the bus and it was just like a good energy of people. There was probably like 30 of us on the bus. And then we stopped and we went to, you know, kind of something very typical, went to a pot of, you know, food carts and had more drinks. And and then we ended up at Victoria Bar and then there was a DJ and we were dancing and it was just really fun. It was like all my favorite people. That's awesome. Yeah, it was great. It was great. And so, um, and it was really fun. And but the year before when I was turning 39, Matt actually surprised, had a surprise party for me then because he's like, well, 40 is going to be such a big deal. He kind of wanted to sneak it in beforehand. And so I really wasn't expecting to do anything for my 40th. I was fine with just, you know, I felt like the 39th was like so momentous too. You know, I I was definitely reluctant. I was like a party bus. I mean, I'm not 21 anymore. (laughs) You know, I'm not getting, you know, it just seemed really childish, but it was fun to live in that moment and just to really enjoy that. And everybody else was like in good spirits. And I think the sun, you know, the energy was great. Nice. So, yeah. Great. Um, so let's talk about how you grew up. I know you are Catholic. Were you raised Catholic? I was. I was born and raised Catholic. Um, big Where? Irish Catholic family. Um, I was born in the Midwest, Indiana. My parents had met in um, New Jersey, had a few kids there, moved to Pennsylvania, had a few more, and then had the last of us in Indiana. And so when I was one, we moved to California. We moved to San Jose. And by that time, there was only eight of us that were only eight of us, but... You know, I'm, I'm 10 of 11, so eight of us moved to California, and then, um, so I grew up always sharing a room, you know, going to church every, you know, Sunday, you know, Lent, not eating fish, the whole nine yards, and my mom was very, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, and my dad, when I was pretty young, he had lost his job, and, um, and so he was, you know, always trying to get work, and then losing work, which was hard, you know, and my mom was always, but he was the fun fun dad you know I wouldn't say Disneyland dad entirely but he was like he was just very joyous and just really enjoyed life and enjoyed his kids and enjoyed having a laugh where my mom was more of a general and she really cracked the whip and expected certain things and we all had chores and she just was you know she she did a lot of you know disciplining and yelling and he you know and he kind of stepped away from that and so I think there was some resentment on her end Mm -hmm. for that you know um 
and and they fought a lot too it, it didn't seem like they you know they didn't show love in the kind of typical way I don't know what's typical anymore you know but it just seemed like as a kid for me just like these yelling parents you know so I always kind of just um kept myself pretty busy and with all those kids you kind of you know can get lost a little bit too and so I think as a young child I was always very self-directed you know just kind of did my own homework didn't really ask for much you know just kind of got in eight left you know we had a big yard at the time and then um, we moved from San Jose up to Northern California and um, and then yeah by that point there was you know less of us living at home but I always still was sharing a room and um, but even then I was always very directed like I, I knew I wanted to go to college I wanted to do play soccer in college I wanted to go into the Peace Corps I just was very like boom 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 these are how I'm going to do these things hmm. and and you know I did end up going to college and, and paying for that myself which was great and I um, I'm glad that I, I didn't have to worry about my parents kind of doing that like I just was like this is what I want to do I'm just going to make that happen I don't know how you know and I just was also somebody that didn't really like a lot of attention mm-hmm. I just wanted to like you know kind of keep my head down and you know, and so, you know, I got decent grades, nothing great, but enough to get in. And then, you know, I played soccer, nothing great, but enough to get a scholarship, you know, to kind of help these things along. My father went to college after he, you know, uh, had joined the military. He he went to night college and my mom never did. And so, you know, that just wasn't part of their, um, you know, what they kind of knew to, to push us towards. Mm-hmm. I think it was just kind of like, you know, at a certain age, you move out. Right. <laughs> Figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, um, you know, and that's my biggest fear with my own kids is like, I want them to move out and, you know, create their own lives and, you know, push them to want more, you know, instead of being like, no, you could always come home right. to me. <laughs> like, no, like when you're 18, it's get the time. bleep out of here. Yeah. yeah go, <laughs> go little bird, fly, fly away. <laughs> Um, you're amazing. Um, wait, I have some questions. Okay, so your 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 pops lost his job when you were young. Your mother did what? what did she was a stay at home mom, oh, and she then was. she did. Um, she like babysat some neighborhood kids, and then when we moved up to the North Bay, she went and became like a CNA, like a nursing assistant, and so she worked in um, uh, home hospice primarily, and uh, she did that for a number of years. And then my father actually he passed away. Um, it's been. 22 years now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So you were so 18? I was, yeah, right? I was 19. I, um, wow. I just finished my freshman year in college and it was a very sudden, That's like rough for her. Whoa. I yeah. mean, it's rough for everyone, but for her to have probably still some young kids. Well, I mean, at this time, the only one left in the house was my younger sister. Oh, okay. So I was in college and she just graduated high school. Mm-hmm. And so, um, but the thing of it was, was that my parents were kind of at this point where, um, you know, they, they did bicker quite a bit. And my father just wanted to be next to, like, near the grandkids. And he just wanted kind of a simpler, like, less chaotic, you know. And so they were, you know, they weren't going to divorce per se, but it was going to be kind of like a... a quiet separation a in a quiet, Catholic way. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Um, so what was tough was when he got sick, all of a sudden it was like all this, like, built up thing that he had against her. He just kind of let go. And then was just like, you know, I'm sorry for how I behaved. And, you know, um, I guess what I forgot to mention was that my father had been an alcoholic and he had, um, until he passed away, he had been sober for 21 years and really embraced his sobriety and was very active in AA. And so I think my mother had a hard time with, um, you know, first balancing his alcoholism and having that many kids and kind of. I mean, he wasn't abusive. He just kind of would come home and kind of be useless. And with all those kids, you can't be useless. Mm -hmm. And then when he was sober, then he really got into sponsoring different, you know, alcoholics. And then I think she resented that because then that became his new, you know, religion and his new addiction. And so it just was kind of like he was damned if he did and damned if he didn't, you know, which was tough to see. Um, So, uh so then to see them like go from almost splitting to then kind of getting back together or, you know, just being more, it was also a trip. Cause all of a sudden, like she had this like new kind of power over us. Like, Oh, well your father and I were just like, what? <laughs> yeah. um, but you know, the good that has come out of my father passing away was that I think um, 
I have a different relationship with my mom that I wouldn't have had had he still been around because I think all of us gravitated more towards him and I think she would have always been kind of the bad guy whereas this kind of you know we get to see her in a different light and you have two kids I have two and are you finished I am done yeah yeah Yeah. very much done yeah interesting that you chose a very small family was that a very conscious decision for you um I think you know I think part of the decision was I didn't know any different for you know, to some degree that I thought that the natural progression of life is that, you know, yeah, you go to school, you get a job, you meet somebody, you get married, you buy a house, you have kids. And, um, it wasn't until I had our, you know, our first son that I was just like, well, this is really hard. Mm -hmm. This is crazy. Like, and I had been around my brothers and sisters, kids all my life and saw how joyful and how much fun, and I didn't realize like how taxing it was, the worry, the worry, the constant worry, you know, are they going to eat? Are they going to do this? Are they doing that right? You know, and just like how to make it. And, and, you know, and I had, we'd moved to Portland with the idea that we would, I would stay home with the kids at least for some amount of time. And, um, yeah. And I think there was kind of like, you have one, you have two. Um, but we were also kind of aware of like, if we couldn't have kids, I wasn't going to go to an extreme measure to have more. But definitely after the second, we were like, okay, this is good. And then we had some friends that had um, some tragic, you know, um, uh, his cousin lost, um, had a stillborn and another friend of mine, you know, lost another child. And it was really devastating for us to realize how, how fickle life could be and how, you know, you you go through all this just to have a child and then keeping them alive is so hard. (laughs) It's so hard that like, you know, why, how could we go through that again? you know, and knowing what we know, it just seemed like, I know some people are like, Oh, every time I have a child, my heart grows and grows. Well, it does. But I think the worry and the, the immensity of, you know, that grows too. Yeah. So it's definitely nice. I think my kids are getting into a good age where they're still, they're six and eight and they're, they're fun. They're like more curious about the world and they can kind of, you know, I could have more, um, banter with them. Um, but it's still a lot of like, brush your hair, put your socks on, do that. You know, it's like constantly managing, you know, like that kind of thing. And it's just like, it just seems, you know, like this redundancy. And, um, I'm like, what, you know, like I, I look forward to the, to the time when they're like away in college and when they can come home and it's like more enjoyable, but I don't know too. Like I, one of my older sisters was telling me that when they're older, you know, when they're younger, it's physically demanding, but when they're older, it's mentally, de- you know, demanding on you. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, <laughs> never ends, man. Yeah. And so <laughs> I just, you know, now with a lot of my friends who get together and, and, you know, are thinking about a family, I'm definitely of the camp of, you don't have to have a kid, you know, kids don't complete you. I think they add something, but it wasn't like I found myself now being a mother you know, I'm just like, I think of me and I'm like, how are these my kids? You know, I don't feel like a mom, you mm-hmm. know, and maybe other people would say differently, but like, I still see myself as, I don't even see myself as 40 sometimes. I feel like everybody keeps getting younger and yet I'm getting older, but I don't feel that way. And, um, and so that's kind of weird. Like, wow, how all of a sudden did I become 40? It's trippy, right? <laughs> it is trippy yeah. because it seems so old for so long. I know. Um, and like, you know, I still play sports and I'm around these girls that are in their mid twenties and, you know, and, and just working where I do and just like that mentality. And, you know, um, I feel like, was that, that dumb when I was 25 or something, you know, I mean, I probably was, I don't know. Yeah. For a while, one of my nieces lived with us for 10 months and I was like, man, you know, it was really interesting. And she had said after, you know, cause she didn't know how to get her oil changed and she didn't know that you should you know cash your check when you get a check from somebody she would hold on to them and there's these kinds of things and she's just like well my parents did all this stuff for me I just didn't know any different and I feel like kind of being raised almost a little bit more independently like I had to kind of figure that stuff out for myself you Mm -hmm. know like if I wanted something I had to get a job very early and make that happen and um, you know if I wanted to go to the college yeah I had to get the grades to get in you know my parents weren't going to financially support if anything because we didn't have money I got good financial aid but I also wasn't scared then to like take out loans and be like well I mean this is the American dream we take out some money 
<laughs> and you pay it down the road, you know. Right. Um, and your your she was about how old when she, when she stayed with you? 23, 24. Wow. Yeah, she stayed with us for a year. She'd moved here, and um, I thought I imagined her as like a sixteen-year-old, based on what no, you were saying. Yeah. Like, oh wow. But, okay. But you know, and I was like, okay, it, it gave me some good perspective of like what's going to be like to have a teenage daughter a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. okay. Um, but but it was also nice. Like when she graduated grad school, I felt like oh, I put somebody through grad school. Yeah. Which I didn't. Right. But just being like that kind of support and seeing the evolution of her growth was like you know. It, there is a lot of growth that happens in these different, you know, stages of life. People our age who started parenting in their 20s, mm-hmm. it seems like coddled their kids quite a bit, you know. So yeah. there's there's this result of like 20 somethings that don't know how to do anything for themselves, you know. Yeah. And it's it's really interesting to see cuz cuz we weren't raised that way at all. Like our generation, yeah. I think by and large was not raised to not know how to do anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, and I worry about too like how because of, you know, technologies and how things are advancing, like, I don't know what the best way to, to teach my kids how to be more, you know, autonomous other than to be like, no, go get that milk for yourself or, or do these things yourself. You I know? think that's a good start. Just I mean, letting yeah. them do things for themselves is huge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People don't do that. They're like, oh, I got to do everything for my kids. Yeah. No. No, you don't. Yeah. You don't. And you can teach them when they're young. Mm-hmm. And I'm not a mom, so I'm talking yeah. shit right oh, now. Oh, I know. But like, people don't teach their kids anything it seems like until they're like in junior high, mm-hmm. but like there are kids that are four and five learning to cook, you know, yeah. basic stuff mm-hmm. and like put their laundry in a spot and mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's when you start because if you start too much later, it's too late, you know, mm-hmm. they're not, they're going to have an attitude about it instead of just thinking it's part of life. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, and it's definitely hard. Like on my end, my mother was so strict, so I tend to be less that way. You yeah. know, I don't, you know, cause I could, it's like sometimes you could hear your mother and yourself oh, sure. with which anything, is terrifying. which is awful. Yeah. Um, but I've also seen my brothers and sisters raise their kids so vastly different. You know, my oldest brother, it was, I wouldn't say anarchy, but those kids like ate whatever they want, did whatever they want, but they're all great kids. And mm-hmm. then my older sister was much more strict. You know, they didn't have sweets and, you know, um, no TV and um, great girls too. And then one of my sisters homeschooled all her kids. It's still homeschooling. And they're phenomenal, you know? So it's just like all these different ways of parenting that still, I think, ultimately, as long as you just really love on them, yeah, then they're going to be okay. There's no one way for sure. Yeah. yeah. And um, my, my mother-in-law criticized me one time because she said, you know, I'm, I'm too lax. I'm not very strict. You know, and that was tough to hear. I knew that, she, I knew that was coming. Um, but I said to her, you know, the same thing. I meant I've seen all these ways of parenting and – if my kids just want to eat mac and cheese every day to me, yeah, it's not ideal, but like, that's not the battle I want to have and they're going to be okay. Yeah. And like you're saying, it's hard enough to just get through every day and Mm -hmm. keep them alive. Yeah. Yeah. You know, cause there is a lot of, I mean, and you know, especially in Portland too, I think there's a lot of like, Oh, my way of parenting is the best. I'm Mm -hmm. so holistic and I'm so this or that. And I'm the most organic. Like I can't afford to buy everything organic. I just can't, Mm -hmm. you know, I just try to cook well for myself and for the kids they don't need it. Fuck it. Yeah. You know, yeah. they'll eat, you know, some kids are motivated by food. Some are not, you know, just, I'm trying to raise them not to be assholes. I think that's a really good way to go. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, <laughs> <laughs> maybe they will be, but I certainly hope not, you know? Well, if they are, it's not your fault. I, yeah. <laughs> You're doing your best. I'll blame somebody, you know, <laughs> just, it'll either be a college slash uh, therapy, you know, fund. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's always good to have like college slash something else mm-hmm. just in case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. But I think it's good that I have a good, you know, Matt's a good dad mm-hmm. and he's a good partner. And I already look forward to the time when the kids are out of the house and it's just him and I again. You know, I think that's what some people, I think when they have kids, they think, oh, it's this like thing that's going to unite us. Like, well, if anything, you get less time for each other because, you know, it's a lot of divide and conquer. Sure. And so, um, you know, it's nice to see what a great dad he is. And I could see how that could be hard if you don't have a good partner. I don't know how single parents do it. Me neither. I'm like, God bless them. Did you, uh, did you and Matt, how long were you married before you had kids? We were married, um, eight years and we've been together 22. Wow. We met our like, you know, basically first weekend of college. So it's been nice to like grow up with him because we were, you know, babies when we met. 
and um, so it's it's really nice having that stability in my life because I don't really have to question what's going on with him and I it's just kind of like okay let's get through this let's get through these kids (laughs) you know that's really interesting I think to to be with someone for a long time before you have children Mm -hmm. and kind of you obviously know you like each other a lot if you've been together well and yeah the kids aren't keeping you together and then you suddenly bring these like wild beasts into your relationship right yeah yeah it's intense it is intense but I think yeah we did things very um you know I think kind of thoughtfully when we got together um for the you know final time after a couple little little breaks um our senior in college I had wanted to go into the Peace Corps and he was really like well what does that mean for us and I said well let's just enjoy what it is now and we'll see what comes down the road with that and um when I went to the Peace Corps I was in Africa for two years and he was in grad school so it was kind of a perfect time where he could focus on himself and getting his um his master's and I could be in the Peace Corps and, and do something I had always wanted to do. And, um, but we realized how much we missed each other and wanted to be together. And so then we, you know, we, I came home, we got married. And then our, our first wedding anniversary, we were in New Orleans with his grandparents who were in their 80s at the time. And, uh, you know, we, we started thinking about the future, like what do we want to do? And we realized we wanted to travel for a year. And so we, you know, we're at a bar drinking, wrote on a cap, you know, cocktail napkin about all the places we wanted to go. And so then we spent the next three years saving up and planning because we knew we wanted to do something like that before we had kids so that there wouldn't be this like, oh, what if or whatever. And so, so yeah, so when actually when I turned 30, when we both turned 30 is when we took a year off to travel. And awesome. that was pretty awesome. Wow. Where'd you go? Um, we first, we started off in Europe and so we were, um, doing, um, England and Germany and we went to Amsterdam and Spain and Croatia and, um, I think I said Italy. And then from there we, uh, one of my sisters got married and so then we flew to San Diego and then from there we went to Southeast Asia. And so we did Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, um, Malaysia. And then from Malaysia we went to, um, Madagascar. And from Madagascar, we went up the east coast of Africa. We did Kenya, Ethiopia, Egypt. And then we went to Turkey, Greece, and then Croatia, and then home. That's amazing. Yeah. What's your favorite thing about traveling? I think it was taking in culture. Um, It wasn't so much the historian. I think it was just kind of like some of it was um, because of my days in the Peace Corps, I had friends in different areas. And so we were kind of like, where could we stay and, and, you know, kind of be with somebody and, you know, it is kind of so large to figure out like where to go exactly. Yeah. You know, I'm sure. Um, but there was also some, you know, we had saved up for a few years, but it's still not cheap to travel. So it's like, you know, Europe is obviously very expensive, so we didn't want to spend too much time there. And he had traveled there at one point. So yeah, other places like Southeast Asia where we, we knew we could get, you know, buy on a, on a cheaper buck would definitely appeal to us. Um, and, um, so yeah, so I had a friend in Madagascar and we were like, well, we would never go there. Right. You know, why would you ever do that? You know, I mean, it just seems so far away, but we're like, well, we have this opportunity to stay with him. Let's do that. You yeah. know, cause it's always nicer to have some sort of guide that knows the place a little bit to kind of get you in instead of just always being this. And, um, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it is a good way to build your, um, to build your trip. Like, mm-hmm. okay, we know somebody here. We know somebody there. Yeah. Yeah. And just to kind of, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, cause when we were in Egypt, we, we got swindled, um, you know, by, um, by a guy who we were supposed to rent a place from. And anyway, so it was this long story, but it was nice having, we had some friends that were in Egypt at the time. So we got to stay with them while we kind of sorted that out and then, you know, and move on from there. So, and it was also just nice seeing, you know, faces and yeah. cause it was just Matt and I, but I think the trip was really good for me to learn to slow down, you know, cause at first we were, you know, just like partying cause you could drink all day, you know, you just didn't have the schedule. And we found that we had to make a schedule for ourselves. We had to wake up, work out, go eat, go see one thing, you know, check emails, take a nap, you know, have dinner, you know, that kind of thing. Like, 
And once we had some sort of structure, then it was easier to kind of manage all that time, you know, because if we were doing too much, then we were exhausted. Yeah, you know, it's a daunting we, amount of time. Traveling mm-hmm. is exhausting. So it yeah. is exhausting. That's an interesting You know, especially like when you get every like two weeks or somewhere else and it's like starting over again. It's like Groundhog's Day, like, okay, how do I get from point A to B? Like, what's right. the money exchange? Constantly making change of money. And, right. You know, um, and just, yeah, and adjusting to the food and the type of people and all that. It's, it's super exhausting. And, yeah, sometimes we, you know, it would be like, no, it's your turn to pick, you know, or it's my turn to pick. And, and, uh, and, you know, we had some friends that said, make sure you guys spend some time away from each other. Yeah. And we didn't really have to do that. But there was times where we would have to wrestle. You know, we were just like, okay, just to get that, like, yeah, I'm so frustrated. I don't know what to do and just like get it out and then we'd be okay. But yeah, we didn't have any like blowouts or, you know, I did kind of say to him one time, like, how about during our year? Like we have one night away, no questions asked, you know, just to kind of, you could go do something and not tell me what you do. But he wasn't really game for that. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really know if I was, but I I like the idea of it. You know, like one night of the whole year where you could both go out and do like literally anything. Literally anything. Whoa, Mary, you're a wild woman. I know, know, but he (laughs) didn't want to take me up at that. Yeah, yeah, he's so funny. I meant that would have been really interesting had that happened. And, you know, I meant that could have gone any which way. Sure. You know, that's a that's a like Seth Rogen movie waiting to happen. Yeah, yeah. Or a horror movie, or you know, yeah, <laughs> yeah I mean, it mean, could be really could have gone anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think the traveling did help me kind of um, learn to slow down oh, when yeah. I was home with my kids, not be so rushed to do all these things. It's just like you know, as long as you kind of have some sort of structure, then you can kind of get through it mentally because it is like you know, when they're little and not really talking back to you, it's a lot of empty space, yeah, you know, totally. And you stayed home with them until until um until the youngest was in preschool and then so several years of just sort of like yeah not really a lot going on yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah. um well I want to talk about that but I want to go back really quickly to Mm -hmm. your time in the Peace Corps Mm -hmm. because I think I remember you saying that you had an illness Mm -hmm. you got malaria is that right uh meningitis meningitis yeah right um I had been in the Peace Corps for nearly two years at that point and um was starting to kind of wrap up my service there and I hadn't been feeling well but being sick in Africa is just kind of you know it's always something and uh it was over Thanksgiving and I happened to call Matt just to say happy Thanksgiving and I was and I was you know talking to his dad telling him how ill I was and they were like oh that you know that that doesn't sound good you should probably go get checked out and so I was able to get up you know catch a ride up to the Peace Corps doctors um that were about four or five hours away. And then um, I think, again, I was trying to just email my family, like, I'm sick. And um, and then they found me, and I was having seizures. And so it was just like this whole ordeal where, you know, I, I woke up in a hospital in, you know, Dakar, and then um, they were able to give me some meds, but they didn't have enough to, um, you know, keep the meningitis at bay. So they needed to fly me back to the States. And so then they flew me back. And then I spent several weeks in Georgetown Hospital um, recovering from meningitis. Because I I didn't realize, like, Senegal and parts of Africa, that's like a meningitis belt. And so even though I was inoculated for it, you know, I got some strain that they didn't know. So then I became kind of this lab rat in in D.C. for the docs to all, you know, gather around like, oh, look at, you know. But it was definitely very terrifying because, yeah, I was, you know, close to dying. Not, you know, I meant they, they found me and thankfully, but it could have it could have changed things and stuff. But um, but it did end me in the end of my tour um, months sooner than I was anticipating. Um, and so I didn't get to say goodbye to my village family that I lived with. And, you know, I didn't get a lot of that kind of closure um, that I wanted. But. I was also very scared to even go back after that. You know, the Peace Corps wouldn't let me, but, you know, it's terrifying to think, you know, what could have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah. 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 Um, so back to the kids. So you were, when you were stay, a stay-at-home mom with your children, what kind of, what were you interested in? What were you doing to keep your, your brain sharp while you were kind of, doing this mind-numbing job of raising people who don't speak it's a good question um I did a lot of reading I was definitely it was a good time to like read a lot of books and I went 
And I appreciated Peace Corps for that too, because there was endless time. And so I really got back into reading that I hadn't in years. You know, like when you're in college, you're just reading to because you have to. And school, you're just reading because you have to. So I, I learned to get to that joy again of reading. Um, but I also, at 5 o'clock, when Matt would come home from work, I, I would check out mentally. I'm like, boom, tag out. You're d- sure. Like, it's your turn. Yeah. And so then, you know, I would, um, I still play soccer, so I would have a game at least one night a week where I can kind of get out or I'd go out with some other friends or, um, yeah, really. And, you know, and we always had babysitters and so we would go out. We always, you know, that was never a problem for me to leave my precious babies. You know, (laughs) it was always fine for me, us to be like, Hey, no, we still need to have our lives. And so, um, because I think, you know, the happier I am, the better I'm going to be with the kids. Sure. You know, it is easy to lose yourself into the, um, the details of all their little, you know, snot nose and all that kind of stuff but um and cooking I really got into cooking I think that was a really big escape just to be like hey I'm cooking dinner now you know yeah I like that time by myself to (laughs) you know cook and just kind of you know it's creative and you get to do it alone Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) exactly Mm -hmm. and then you get to shoo them out of there right right So, uh, you are a practicing Catholic Mm -hmm. and I'm always so fascinated by that. Um, just because I, I know you a little bit and you're kind of just, you're wild and you're, um, outspoken and I, it's like contradicts what my idea of a Catholic, like a practicing Catholic would be, which is Mm -hmm. my own silly stereotype. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious what role religion plays in your life as a, as an adult compared to as a child, how you use it in the way you parent. That's a good question. Um, I definitely feel that like Catholicism was like jammed down my throat as a child and it, it wasn't something I necessarily like enjoyed. I didn't enjoy going to church every week and, um, but it was just how I was raised. It just was what we did. And, um, and so I did find myself going to a Catholic university. My older sister had gone there and, um, I just really wanted to go to college and they offered me a soccer scholarship. So it was kind of like, it wasn't necessarily the path I wanted to take. Um, but it, all the kind of stars aligned for that. And so then, you know, I met Matt, he was also raised Catholic and it just was again, kind of like a cultural thing, but it was just kind of like, it was easier being with somebody who kind of knew like, Oh, well, yeah, you go to church every Sunday and you know, these kinds of things. It's, it's, it's like you kind of know each other in mm-hmm. a, in a regard, like it's a, it's a safe, safe kind of, instead of having something that's totally wildly different. Um, but that's not to say that I, I buy into all of the doctrines and, you know, I'm not somebody that reads the Bible. I don't think I, I meant for Matt read it one time, I think while we were traveling, actually, he was reading the Bible and was trying to also read the Quran, you know, just to try to read, like, what are these texts? What do they really say? Because, yeah, I mean, I grew up every night at dinner. We had, my mom had a huge prayer list and we would read a Bible passage before we had dinner. And, you know, that to me was just, it was kind of intense. But my mother was also, she was not born and raised Catholic. She had converted in her early 20s. So I think that made her more fervent about it, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And my dad, he had been raised Irish Catholic and the nuns beat the shit out of him. Wow. You know, I mean, you know, that's kind of how they were. They were rough. And so I think he was a little kind of traumatized being Catholic. So I grew up, even though it was a Catholic family, my mom was the one that took us to church. My dad didn't go, at least after he had sobered up. He, his religion was then AA. But once we had kids, it was kind of just like, well, you, you baptize them. You know, this is what you do. And to be honest, I think a lot of how... I still am Catholic is that, you know, we were looking at schools and, and we, you know, we were, we tried the public schools for our, our son and it wasn't a good fit for him. And so we liked the idea of a Catholic school that had this kind of community of people that were somewhat like-minded and just kind of like being raised with values, not necessarily that it's like God, everything, but there is kind of more of a value structure of like treating people, you know, with kindness and, with clarity. Um, 
And um, so I like that aspect of it. I'm still not totally like, you know, I mean, we do go to church every week. I find myself just using that as a time to kind of space out and meditate. But I'm not like, you know, I don't know. I mean, it seems strange. Like, I, I don't I don't think of myself as like a false Catholic, but I don't like I, I feel like there's some characteristics that I really like, but I don't I'm not like a scripture, you know, all this and that, you know, I. Um, I wouldn't say that, like, I'm, you know, I, I have family that's very much anti-abortion. And, you know, there's a big line in my family of where that's drawn, where, the, you know, my mom especially and uh, a couple of my sisters are very much anti-abortion. And obviously I don't, that's not something I would do or have done, but I could see the pro-choice aspect of it. I think I could kind of have a more liberal burning heart. And, you know, I still think they're all good people, but I feel like, you know, my Peace Corps or activism going there, I think there's things that you could do and kind of live in a good, maybe kind of Catholic way, but not having to be necessarily Catholic. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense. But just like I try to just look at, um, but I, you know, I when Matt and I were going through uh, our wedding classes and, it, and you have to do this like Catholic encounter kind of thing. And really what they did was the Catholic Church was realizing these are certain things um, people are getting divorced over, you know, finances, not talking about children. And um, and so they, they have these classes so that you kind of sit down and really kind of break down like, hey, if I don't have kids or what does that mean, you know, or who is going to be the breadwinner, who's not, who's going to stay, you know, however you break that down. Um, and I remember this couple, they were from Ireland and um, – the the older couple that was leading the class said you know what what do you have do you have any problems with the catholic church and uh and the gentleman said well all of it like i just don't buy the whole jesus thing i don't buy any of it and we were like oh my goodness that's crazy you know here you're getting married in the catholic church and you don't buy any of it but now that my kids are getting a little bit older and you know, hearing my daughter sing these little like, yes, Jesus loved me songs. It kind of cracks me up, you know, and it also seems weird too, because I don't really see myself as very religious. Mm -hmm. You know, I just try to live like a good life. Mm -hmm. And, um, and maybe that structure kind of came from the Catholic church, but then there's so much, I don't agree with the Catholic church too. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't agree with their, I mean, and I think the Pope is way, more engaging than previous popes where he has different stances against, you know, um, gay marriage and, and like, I, yeah, I just, none of that stuff kind of bothers me. So in some ways, like I definitely contradict, you know, the Catholic church teachings. It was like, if you love somebody, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, you can't help if they're gay or straight or, you know, um, I don't think contraception's the, you know, anti Christ kind of thing. So there's some of that, but I don't know what it's going to mean as my kids get older, like what, you know, like what they're going to choose or whatever. But I think there is a certain comfort when we do go to church every week, like knowing, seeing these other families that the kids go to school with, kind of knowing that they have um, a community. Because, yeah, like for me, like a Montessori system is a little too... You know, I think that's a religion in itself. Some of these like educational models, you know, mm -hmm. people eat their own cool, you know, drink their own Kool-Aid that I don't necessarily aspire to, mm -hmm. you know? So, so I don't know. You're essentially in it for the structure and maybe some of the ritual or maybe for the structure and maybe just for like, I want the kids to, um, to learn more compassion and, you know, charity and, and, and I don't know if it's the higher spirit out there that, you know, but to, to learn that, you know, yeah, I don't, I don't really know. Do you have a relationship with God, whatever that is to you? Um, because I think a lot of the Catholics I know it's, it is a very, um, it's a, first of all, it's, it's something that most people don't ever get out of. I'd say the Catholic mm -hmm. church is, yeah. you know, it's the mob of religion, mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but I don't necessarily think a lot of the Catholics I know are spiritual with their relationship with Catholicism. It's mm -hmm. more structure and ritual and mm -hmm. community. And maybe that's true for a lot of other religions too. Mm -hmm. So I'm just curious. Yeah, I think I probably would fall more into the, um, I don't, I don't feel like I have like a direct, 
you know, relationship with God. Um, I remember as a child, like going to my first communion class and, you know, part of it was that you have to do your first confession. And I remember the priest saying, you know, what, what's something you want to confess? But the idea of, you know, confessing was that you weren't going to do it again. And I was like, well, I know I'm going to hit my sister again. You know, I know I'm going to fault these things again. So how do I knowingly go in and confess something that I know I'm going to do again, just to kind of like wipe yourself clean? Like some of that I just don't entirely buy into. And sometimes I, you know, I'm curious about that because I do have um, sisters that are so Catholic and it's, it's so much of their identity is in that where I feel like, you know, um, I mean, I was, I'm, I'm culturally Catholic is how I see myself. That's a really good way of putting it. Yeah. But and you seem pretty moderate in yeah. general. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have extreme views on that. I could see, you know, the benefits of, um, I just try to look at things. Yeah. Differently than that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, because I was raised this way, I can't, yeah. Like you said, like, I can't really shake it. It's a part of me. Right. Um, but, but that they find so much more, you know, even my mom is just like so into it that um, I don't think I've ever really let gotten into anything that I've kind of lost myself. Um, even my own kids, like I'm not so into my kids that I, I don't know who I am. I feel like I still have my somewhat of an identity for myself. And so that's why I can't just totally let go to give it to a higher being. Right. Well, mm-hmm. and it sounds like that started when you were very young, right? You had to, you were right in the middle mm-hmm. sandwich kid where you had to kind of create your own identity, create your own ambition. Mm-hmm just keep your head down and do your own thing. So you've been an individual for a really long Mm -hmm. time, you know? Yeah. I'm going to switch gears a little bit to some generational questions. The one I ask everyone, what do you romanticize about the pre-internet years? Mm. I think, uh, just having, not knowing every little stupid detail of what people are doing. I mean, I, I'm on Facebook and I hate myself for it and yet I can't stop it, but I want to. And, you know, there's the aspects of, I, I, you know, I like the connecting with people, but then I think, you know, before the internet, when you kind of phased away from people, you just kind of did that. And there was like a natural, like, okay. There's a reason, right? Yeah, there was a reason <laughs> yeah. for it. And, um, and the little more freedoms, you know, as a child, I, I got to, you know, kind of roam around and play a little bit more free where I think now there's just so much information that comes out that, you know, you, you're kind of, you know, there's more fear. I think there's a lot more fear created by all this more media and more information that's, you know, out there. What do you fantasize pre, uh, no one's ever thrown that question back at me, Mary. No. Uh, I miss, um, I feel like time moved differently then, you Mm -hmm. know, um, everything feels more urgent and fast. And I mean, that's really obvious, but Something about not, like you're saying, not having that connection with everyone you've ever known in your life, there's a freedom and a slowness that that allows you. And then there's something that I can't quite put into words that I miss, which is, and I'll try to right now, but I don't know if I'll be able to, but um, yeah, like we almost have too much of an internal life now, right? Because mm-hmm. the internet feels like a brain and it's all of our collective brain. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so we're kind of tapped into that so much that we're not people anymore. You know, we're Mm -hmm. not like physical beings when we're in that world. Mm -hmm. And I don't like that so much. Like, I don't think that's great for us to constantly be in this, this sort of programmed world and, and not in our bodies. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't think that's how humans should be. So um, I think there's a lot of danger when you disassociate from your flesh and mm-hmm. your physical world and, you know, the results can be pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's very interesting that way to think about it. Yeah. Anyway. Um, what are some issues you care about? To be honest with you, it's not that things I, I, I care about things, but I think I'm still kind of in this like, Like right now, my son was just diagnosed with dyslexia. And so my, 
my big cares right now or advocating for him having a child you have to be their their biggest advocate because I have um you know one of his teachers trying to push meds down us which is just for dyslexia what could that possibly do well that's not a thing it's not a thing yeah (laughs) but before he was diagnosed it was like well we think he has ADHD he needs Mm. meds and we're like well you know I think it's more than that I think you know um and so just kind of like the battle as a parent of what, you know, how you want to raise your child and what you're trying to do the best for them versus this structure that just wants to compartmentalize how, especially boys are taught and how they, how they think and how they, how they wiggle that it's not right. You know, they need to be sitting and doing this. And so I'm trying to, you know, reprogram my own brain to, you know, and, and with our son, we've always known he came out busy, mm-hmm. but happy, but busy. And we just adjusted. We just kept him moving. We kept, you know, that's how we do it. And so, um, being in school for children is a big adjustment. You know, they go from eight to three. It's a lot of sitting, like sitting a lot of listening and crazy. a lot of that. And that's hard. And, um, but now knowing that it's even harder for him because his brain is wired differently and how, um, how hard he has to work just to do the basics that comes very easily for children. Um, and then it's frustrating to have a, a teacher on the other end, um, just wanting to medicate as a solution. Like that's just it, you know? And, and why so, are your teachers telling you what to like giving you medical advice? Exactly. That's you know? Up. And so that's kind of like my new, like that's what I'm championing now is like, now I'm digging into so much research about what are our rights? What are the laws? You know, can this teacher do this? No, you know, like we receive federal funding. They cannot push yeah. meds down your throat. Yeah, are the pharmaceuticals mention, coming to schools now and pushing their products with teachers? Yeah, what and so her? that's kind of my new thing is just like learning as much about that, you know, all the parameters of it too. Um, and uh, and it's, you know, again, like just kind of like another thing that like gets thrown at you having a kid. You know, you just, you think like, okay, you feed them this and they that go to bed and they, you know, they'll sleep and they'll grow. And then you don't realize like, well, what if they do have these issues with, you know, learning and then how do you go about helping them to make them the best that they can be? And so it's just like, I, I think it's a constant like learning thing for me to kind of, okay, you know, I just want to best facilitate this kid to have a successful experience. Um, so that's an, my big issue right now, yeah, um, but which great. is good, but there's a great community here, you know, in Portland, I went to this meeting about decoding dyslexia. And so that is fascinating to me, like all the research these people have done before us. And, and so now Matt wants, we're trying to start a support group at the school for other parents that are having similar things. Cause it's like, we don't want to reinvent this wheel, you know, if like, Hey, what's worked for your kid? Let's try that. Um, and so that's a big thing, but I think since my Peace Corps days, because when I went to Peace Corps, like I wanted to save the world and I, you know, was like, oh, this is, you know, here I'm going to go to this place and like do all this stuff. And when I realized when I got there that, well, I had to learn the language and the culture and Peace Corps doesn't give you money and you're kind of left with like no anything to kind of make it happen. Really what they want you there is for this like kind of cultural exchange, which was great. But it made me realize, well, yeah, what kind of change can I do in two years that will be sustainable for when I leave, you know? And I think um, that jaded me a little bit on that and maybe took a little bit of the fight out of me. So now I don't really, I kind of just like to keep a low profile. Like Mm -hmm. things get me riled up um, and I care deeply. I think, you know, um, I don't like the way this administration's going you know, I mean, who, who can really say that they do, you know? Um, but I don't know what's really going to spark me into like super activism. You know, I, I'm just trying to keep it simple with what, you know, I need, like my battle right now is just my son. Yeah. Fix your corner, fix my little, you know, but that's what we try to do too. Like, you know, we have like a, a neighborhood watch in our neighborhood and we have a community garden and, you know, we're just trying to make our little world as good as we can. And then kind of spread out from there. Cause I, I did, I tried to go a little broader and, you know, and it, and it was good, but I realized how futile that was thinking I could go there. You know, you're just, I was young and I was like, I'm going to save the world. Well, actually, no, I didn't really have, 
even though I was college educated, I still didn't really know what these people needed. You know, it's like anything else. It's like you, you realize how big things can be. And I don't know how to sometimes, you know, I just, I have to break it down into smaller things that are easier for me to kind of handle manageable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, my last question for you is what do you hope for? You know, I just, I, uh, I don't know exactly what I hope for. Um, I think I've been very, I I don't, I mean, now I'm saying Catholic stuff, blessed, but like I have a good partner, you know, we have healthy kids, we have, you know, a good life together. And, um, you know, I hope that we're, you know, that, that he outlives me, you know, that's what I hope for. Um, that's but adorable. I, that is adorable. <laughs> I'm trying to, I feel, um, I don't know if it's hope, but I'm trying not to, I think there's always this like want of wanting more. And I, I, I want to try to just enjoy what I have and be thankful for the things that I do have, you know, um, working with younger people and, you know, seeing them going out and, and partying and having fun. I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, oh gosh, I wish I was like that. But I was like, no, I've had, I've had this great life so far. You know, I've, I've put myself through school. I've lived abroad and we've traveled. We have this home. Like, you know, my hope is that I could just really embrace what I do have and not constantly think I need to have more and have more and I need that. And I have to have this car. Like it's okay. Mm-hmm. you know, to have a simple life that's not complicated by so much and just be grateful for it and just be grateful for it. And yeah. I think it's a real kind of like mind exercise with myself because having kids that constantly want things, I want this, I want this. And it's like, no, you need to learn to be satisfied with what little you do have. Uh, what, do you hope, what do you hope for? <laughs> I turn it back. Whose interview is this? Mary? I don't know. I'm just curious. <laughs> Oh God! I hope Donald Trump chokes on his next meal. Yeah. Uh, I hope that m- people's rights don't keep getting taken away from yeah. them. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just heartbreaking to see so many, pr- so much progress being reversed in such a short period of time. So I hope that that stops somehow. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that we get some leaders, you know, in yeah. the next couple generations that are uh, that can think beyond their own noses. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot to hope for, but yeah, I mean, there's a million things. It's just, I like to just hear what comes out. I know. I'm like, (laughs) Oh, but yeah, that's good. Thank you so much, Mary, for being on the show. Yeah, This is great. Great questions. And Mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for having me. You got it. 